Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Cassian Andor, Empire is choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One. There is an organized rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all up to something real? Star Wars Andor. Original series streaming September 21st. Exclusively on Disney+. Plus. 18 plus subscription required. T's and C's apply. Vic, you look you look about 16 this morning. <laughs> I'll take that. You really do. I wonder why. Do you think it's the light? It's like it's like <laughs> the tracky, the lashes, the lack of makeup. <laughs> My lashes are still on. I like the fact <laughs> that your head's like the he- your head's like down here. It's so cute. <laughs> With thanks to Bailey's, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I am your brand new host for season five of the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, the podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. We have a phenomenal lineup of guests for 2022. I guarantee you'll be taking away plenty of reading recommendations. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Bookshelfie. I'm Vic Hope and I'm so excited to be your host this season. Also excitingly, this year's Women's Prize shortlist is out now and the six amazing authors and their books can all be found on our website www.womensprizeforfiction.co.uk. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to singer-songwriter Joy Crooks about her favourite books written by women. Born and raised in Elephant Castle, Joy's come such a long way from recording a cover of Hit the Road Jack with a friend in a bedroom at 14 years old, which then went viral on YouTube. After being nominated for the Brits Rising Star Award, placing fourth on the BBC Sound Poll, Joy went on to become the most widely tipped artist of 2020 and has since won not one, but two UK Music Video Awards for her song Feet Don't Fail Me Now. From her debut album Skin, which was released to critical acclaim, it is so, so good. Her music's been described as a melding of pop, R&B and soul. Her tracks uh, tackling topics like mental health, relationships, culture and her love of South London. It was an honour to present her with her Musician of the Year Award just last month at the Remarkable Women Awards. Welcome to the podcast. Joy, hiya, how are you? I'm good. I always feel like I sound like not the person that you're describing (laughs) as soon as I start talking. Well, it's just as soon as I start speaking and I'm in a bathroom. And freshly dyed hair. I feel like it's just not giving any of the things that you said. But hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on. Your bathrobe looks very cosy, to be honest. It's so good. And it's floor length. Jeez. You've made it. I told you. I said it in the intro. Yeah. (laughs) She's worked hard. Now she's got a floor length bathrobe. (laughs) I'm so pleased to have you on the podcast. We've spoken um, about music many times before. And it's been such a pleasure to watch your career over the last few years um we even chatted about your domestic space about your home for a, for a show at the beginning of the pandemic but we get to talk about books now and this is such uncharted territory like I don't I don't know are you a big reader what kind of books do you gravitate towards I've never been a big reader um and I don't say that proudly I just always struggled with my attention span um 
which kind of led me on to reading things more like um, poetry. And I, I read lyric books as well, which is mm. kind of like, I, I, I read a lot of lyric books. I love lyric books. I've got like Leonard Cohen's lyric book here and Van Morrison's lyric book. But I do read, and when I, I'm kind of one of those weird readers where if I read something that I like, I'm obsessive and I read it in a day. Yeah. And then I don't read for six months. Um, and I've always been like that. It's just like I don't have an incredible attention span, but I wish that I did. What is it about poetry and about lyric books that has you so frenetically thumbing through them? Um, they just make me think of songs and like, you know, pentameters and rhythm and how do they say so much with so little? Because that's yeah. the type of writing that I do, which doesn't mean that like novels and fiction and nonfiction books aren't as important. They are. It's just that I feel um, I feel quicker gratification yeah. with poetry and, and lyric books. But I say that and I have read books that have changed my life. And the, these books that I've put down or put forward for today are definitely books that have changed my life. I know there's some poetry in there. Um, and as a songwriter, you know, you've just said you you feel like you connect to that mode of expression but when did you find your voice when did you find that mode of expression for yourself when did you begin songwriting and why I began songwriting when I was 12 um just because I was bored and I've always had like a lot on my chest in the sense that I always had a lot to say but not necessarily knew how to say it um and so I thought that songwriting naturally was the way of doing it I didn't think that writing a diary or anything was quite as gratifying um, and again, I've always been quite obsessed with this idea of you can say so much with very little. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like why I loved watching people cuss each other at school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love like a really it's like, creative... It's just style. like you have to be quick. Yeah. yeah. You have to be quick. And it's also like, wow, you really just like went for someone's whole family in like 15 seconds. Were you a big reader at school? Like, it, it, I mean, you said you started songwriting at such a young age. So you obviously interested I forced in words. myself. Yeah. I, I forced myself, yeah. Yeah. Like my dad would make me read the whole reading list before I'd even gone into the next year of school and stuff. So that's, I mean, that's proper, yeah. Yeah, I still haven't read like enough of the classic. Well, I have, I've read a few, but, but yeah, no, it just, it wasn't like voluntary. It was kind of like, you have to do this. <laughs> It's just like the joy of having immigrant parents, you know, and no vacancies and no vacations. I know it so well. Um, my mum's Nigerian and there's no way that she would have stood for us being in this country and having this education without doing it properly. And Yeah, yeah, bare minimum is never an option. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> never. Are you grateful for that now, so many years on? Definitely, I really am. But also it's just informed my work ethic and I've always had like, quite a strong work ethic and I grind down a lot on myself and make sure that I'm always trying my best so yeah I think it has. Well let's talk about the books that have shaped you um, as well as your background your upbringing your yes, parents I'm sure we'll discuss them too and your first bookshelfy book is Bell Hooks All About <laughs> Love. Bless you. <laughs> 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 it's okay and you've got the book in front of you as well oh my god do you have a pile of the books that we're discussing with you i've got a, uh i've got two here that's i mean no one's done that just so you know no one's done that so far in the podcast so i didn't do it purposely no offense to it but it's oh, just fine. been on my desk 
<laughs> Listen, you keep flattering them eyelashes. It's not doing anything to me. <laughs> Fill me up and then shut me down. Fine, Joy. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tell anyone listening who doesn't know about this book a little bit about it. Um, this enduring classic is the acclaimed first volume in feminist icon and visionary bell hooks's love song to the nation trilogy all about love looks at the root causes of our polarized society and also how learning to love can heal the divisions that cause suffering joy why did you choose this book i just saw it on a lot of brown girls i respect like coffee tables mm-hmm. um I know that sounds like a, no. a strange thing, but it's like if, it. if a couple of my girls have got the same book on their tables, I'm like, well, it's like a matter of time until I read it. It's a, a recommendation that you can, you know, you know, is being vouched for. For me, Bell Hooks is so viscerally rousing. Like her work is a real living thing that exists as part of our society for our society. Um, the same is true of music, like beyond the likes and awards and chart positions. Why do you do it? Why do you want to put work into the world? Pretty much for the same reason. I think that like what Fell Hooks bangs on about is kind of what Marvin Gaye was banging on about. Yeah. It's kind of what like Solange in her own way is banging on about. I think that like love is love is literally the message. It's everything and and that's not just relationship love, it's like all-encompassing love. It's understanding what love is, it's understanding how when we love right and when when we um, approach things like this whole self-help kind of um, generation we're in where people are becoming more spiritual and meditative and stuff, it's, it's about applying that to the collective as opposed to it being an individualistic um, journey. And I think that's where we're going wrong. And I just think it's very interesting how when you learn to love and you can define love and that love is never taught, um, how we apply that into our day to day and into our community. And when I say community, I don't mean necessarily where you live. I also mean like your friendships and, and, and the people that are in your life and how that can lead to progression. And I think that it proves how political love can be as well. And in the best way, not in, in a bad way at all. It can, it, it can move. And I think that that's, yeah, that's always what I've been interested in. I think that um, almost studying love is like an incredible thing. And it's something that we never get to study. We just experience or think we experience. Yeah. And you learn over and over again that the last time maybe wasn't it. Um, You keep relearning about love. You're right. We don't learn about it. We don't. We don't understand it. We have to learn about it through the music that we listen to, through the poems that we read. How did you feel when you read this book? How did it make you feel? It just slaps me in the face every time I read this book. It's like, it's a really slow read because it's like, it's just a bit rude. Like, Bell Hooks really is not holding back. And and you're having to confront things that you're not necessarily even ready to confront. I was like, whoa. In the first, like, ten pages, yeah. I was like, what do you mean? I was sitting on a beach crying my eyes out. Um, just because it's so real. She doesn't hold back, you know. So I, I always explain to yeah. people, if you read this book, get ready to be punched in the face. Someone told me they didn't like the book, and I was like, I don't like you. No, because, it, because it's more than just, like... a. a bit of a subjective opinion on a piece of literature it's like this is how we feel this is how we process this is who we are if you can't get on board with that who are you 
Yeah, I literally can't. Like you, nah. Emotional intelligence zero. <laughs> To be honest. <laughs> you know what? I think Bell Hooks of Poetry um, and words are my most shared on Instagram. You know, you, you you feel like you want to pass it on. You're so compelled to pass it on to someone else because they might relate. They might feel something. It might make something make sense for them. Um, so there's a real legacy in that. And she, of course, sadly passed away in December. What does her legacy mean to you? Well, she's she's immortal now through her writing. Mm. And I think that we are so fortunate to have Bell Hooks literature uh, near us and, and at arm's reach because I think that she has the capability, particularly for communities that haven't necessarily felt loved and have been marginalised and have purposely not been taught love, unfortunately, to love and to be loved and to accept and want to give love. And I think that... Um, I mean, for that reason, she'll live on forever, as far as I'm concerned. And also, just her writing is fantastic. So, how could she not? Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Looking for a treat to pair with your favourite book? Bailey's is the perfect accompaniment to enjoy either over ice or over coffee. Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Cassian Andor, Empire's choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One... There is an organised rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? Star Wars Andor. Original series streaming September 21st. Exclusively on Disney+. Plus. 18+. Plus. Subscription required. T's and C's apply. Let's move on to your second bookshelfy book, which is Naira Wahid's Salt. After struggling to publish Salt, um, this was a self-published volume of poetry, which is perhaps from one of the most famous Instagram poets. If we put that in inverted commas. It explores the realities of multiple identities. I wouldn't say. Language, I wouldn't say she was. I wouldn't say she was. I feel like Rupi Kaur got all of the. Um, this is where my controversy That's true. begins. This is where yeah. the controversy. No, um, go for it. I think this is where this is this is where Rupi Kaur comes in and actually I think that it's been cited a lot that Ruby Cow has taken a lot of inspiration mm. in quotation marks mm. from Naya <laughs> Wahid and um, I guess it, it could be seen as Instagrammable because it's quotable and it's short but I would never like I don't want to do a dirty like that I think that like the Instagram yeah. the Instagram poet is Ruby Cow the Instagram poet is not Naya Wahid like she's the poet poet no, 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 no. Because you know what? I was once talking to um, Ursa Daly Ward, who also gets sort of touted around. Do you know her? Um, she has that book called Bone, and she's just, she's an amazing poet. She also gets touted as an Instagram poet, and she kind of embraces the the title because she's like, actually, I do, I do not subscribe to it only being readers of books who get to consume and like feel anything from my poetry. So I'm I'm completely here for it being in this shareable form. That's her flipping it positively, yeah. which makes her obviously like a great human being that she can flip it. But I just think like to a to a listener, I don't think Instagram poet is definitely it's not it's it's 
it's giving flashes. It's not, it doesn't shine you in the light. Yeah, it doesn't shine you in the light that maybe, um, the, well, that your your work deserves. And it is, it's, I mean, it's it's a work. It is a work, this, this piece. It explores the realities of multiple identities, language, diasporic life, pain, through really brief but really beautiful lines full of power. Why does this resonate with you, Joy? I think I was on the seventh page and I start crying. I mean, same as bell hooks. So just like, it's when it just punches you in the face. It was like, how dare you with like four lines do that to me? Um, it's simple. It's, it's evocative. It's, it's so real. And it's all good and well, like having these Instagram quote type beat poets, but Naomi Wahid is the one who does it the best by a mile. Like, she, I don't know, I, it just, it, it just smacks me in the face again. Um, mm. And there's, there's like two particular poems that really like get to me every time I read them. There's one that she wrote about cruel mothers. There's one that she wrote about being an African-American woman and, and the idea of mother tongue. And there's one more about uh, how, what love feels like. And then, um, yeah, she's just, she's super talented. And also I love the fact that it's all about her work and not about her. She's not, uh, she's not a brand. She's very much a person that writes this poetry and you take it or leave it. I feel like with poems, you really notice how immensely beautiful even the darkest times can be. Um, it sort of shines a light on that in as you say in a in a punch in this short sharp form um and some of the subject matter of your music is 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 difficult and you express things that have been difficult especially when it comes to battles with mental health um how do you make beautiful something that is intrinsically ugly it's a really good question um I think that's just like it's something I've done my whole life um and I think the reason why I've done that my whole life is because in the last especially in the last few days I've realized like I literally feel I've never felt like I belong to anything and that's like the nicest and like the the harshest thing I think I've thought about in a while like I never felt like anything has ever been quite consistent enough for me to belong to it or maybe I'm just not consistent enough and I think that because I've always felt that way like take being Bangladeshi Irish never being anyone else that was the same mix and even if I haven't met people that are mixed it's not ever the same experience it's a shared experience it's never the same I just feel like I've always had to make the things that I might find ugly or other people might find ugly like growing up in Elephant and Castle and it being named a shithole and then how do I make that beautiful and I think the only way that you can make something ugly beautiful is by embracing it and by allowing it to be whatever it wants to be as opposed to trying to box it or to uh, label it or to change it into something that it's not and that applies to everything I think but embrace is the only way and that takes a lot of courage as well. We talk so much about belonging, don't we? Um, and this um, pursuit of identity through belonging. But as you just said, and I completely agree with you, also coming from um, a, a mixed race family, 
And growing up like in Newcastle, no? And growing up in Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly the same. There was no other brown people where I was from. There was no other brown people in my school. You realise as time goes by, and this is what has made me really find contentment, I don't belong anywhere. But as a result, I belong everywhere. And I feel like there are songs, and yours are included in this, that that kind of help validate that for you, help you realise that. And you're like, okay, I'm all right with that. Do you ever find that in in writing like this? 100%. Because she's so open about the lack of belonging, it makes you feel like you belong to the book and she belongs. Yeah. You know, like it's that whole, you put, wherever you put your foot, you belong. Have you found Biscuiteers yet? Biscuiteers are the original hand-iced biscuit gifting company offering beautiful biscuit collections for any occasion. All of their gorgeous biscuits are lovingly hand-iced, one at a time, by artists at the Ministry of Biscuits in London. One of my absolute favourites is the Butterfly Collection. The biscuits are absolute works of art. They look like perfect hand-painted butterflies and come in the most beautiful tin. You're bound to make an impression with these. And Biscuiteers are offering our lovely listeners 15% off your first order with the code LOVEFICTION. So for the very best present ideas, head to biscuiteers.com now. There is also this amazing storytelling even if it if it's so brief it's it's so evocative and so compelling um has storytelling always been a big part of your life your family your culture it was it given to you by your parents it's definitely a huge part of like my cultures particularly irish culture in irish poetry there's a hell of a lot of storytelling in irish singing and literature it's all about storytelling, you know. It's like the way that Irish history has also been passed down is through storytelling. The like Irish people will take you aside in Dublin, <laughs> in Dingle, wherever, and and tell you a story. It's just a huge part of who we are um, as a people. And my dad used to sit me down and read me uh, Philip Larkin poems and make me recite them, and Seamus Heaney and and Yeats, and and we used to have this Irish poetry book called Poemata. Um, so it's always been a part, yeah. And also just like on the Bangladeshi side too, you know, they're both countries that have been affected by war, um, colonisation, decolonisation. And so storytelling is really important because our histories have been under the threat of being erased. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a rebellious act and a protest for my cultures, I think. Your third book, which is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Have you read this? Absolute legend, Bernadine. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I was actually, um, so I was a judge on the Women's Prize last year and Bernadine was the um, the chair of judges and I'd read her book just shortly before we started the process. I was kind of in awe of her and it is, it's just, it's just a journey of a novel, isn't it? Oh, it's just like, it's just fantastic. It's such a good book. It's fab. It's such so fab. Obviously, deservingly propelled Bernadine to international fame. It won the 2019 Booker Prize. It was also shortlisted for the Women's Prize in 2020. It is an original and rich tapestry just woven from the lives and the loves of a dozen black British women. Tell us about this book. When did you first read it? I read it on holiday two years ago. I couldn't put it down. I got to the third character and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Yeah. Also, how are you doing this? How are we weaving? How are we getting here? Just, I, I just. But also, like, journey. why have we not? Why have we not? Like, why is this not more of a thing as well? Mm -hmm. Like, the way that I don't want to say too much because I really don't want to spoil what the book's about, and I really want people to read it. I just think that it's so 
there's a character that really, really, a lot of the characters actually floored me, but there's a character where we kind of find out what her actual ethnicity is at the end of the book. And that that story floored me. Um, Without giving any spoilers, why did it resonate with you, do you think? Because it, you know what it is? Like, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think that the book really teaches you that we all, including brown women, like for me as a brown woman, I don't know if, uh, if it's the same for you. I don't want to speak on behalf of you. But like, I definitely suffer from unconscious bias. I'd like to think that I'm this liberal person, da, 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 but like, hell no. Like I grew up in the UK. Why wouldn't I suffer from unconscious bias? Why wouldn't I be slightly sexist? Why wouldn't I be slightly racist? Like, I've grown up in a place that is founded on all of those things. So when you read a book like Girl, Woman, Other, and you're finding out about these women and you're kind of making assumptions about them and then you just get shagged by the reality of these yeah. women. I know what you It mean. kind of teaches you, you, you know, you ain't shit. It doesn't matter if you're also brown, if you've also grown, in, like, grown up in South London or in an ethnic minority area or you have like, immigrant parents. It doesn't matter, like... You are just as mash up in your brain as everyone else. And that's kind of what my song Feet Don't Fail Me now is about as well. It's just like, you know, like it's so much easier to cop out than actually really try and like decolonize your mind and like unpack and unlearn. And Bern what Bernadine does is just teaches you that we all have so much to unlearn. And it's so easy to make assumptions about women, particularly women, particularly black women. And then nothing is ever as you expect and of course like as a brown woman in my own way I understand that like people project onto me all the time people stereotype me all the time you know like oh yeah. I won't even say but just stupid things get said to me all the time especially being in the public eye but for them to that be applied but the other way around and for me to learn my biases through such an incredible book I don't know I just thought it was genius I thought it was so smart and I you know what I think the, that progression all starts with accountability and it's not about pointing fingers it's actually pointing fingers at yourself and going what do I have to unlearn it's holding a mirror up I think the best novels the best literature not only change the way you look at the world but change the way you look at yourself and this is a novel which absolutely does that and what you're saying about being a brown woman um and almost feeling like you're absolved of any accountability before realizing no. that you have internalized a lot of things and as like a like a light-skinned brown woman as well um i i cannot ever ignore that i have afforded certain privileges um and it's it's important to address them to acknowledge yeah, but we them also, we, acknowledge we also we also both things. have um like brown mothers right yeah and white fathers I'm assuming your dad's white. Yeah. yeah. Which does, it's, it's, it's different. It's different um, depending on what you're around it is. I was talking about this. Yeah, but it's yeah, like in, in the book, it really, really goes in about having, yeah. having an ethnic mother too and, and what that means. And, and, um, and, and when your mother is darker skinned too, I think that's like, I think that's something yeah. that a lot of, we don't talk about enough, but that's, yeah, it's definitely set me up in a certain way, having a mother that's darker skinned. I can't pretend that I understand the struggles that she no. has been through because they are so different to my my own. She's also enriched me. Like if I didn't have a dark skin, if my mum wasn't African, if my mum wasn't Nigerian, 
she wouldn't have been doing my hair. She wouldn't have been giving me the food that I grew up eating. And I wouldn't be connected to my culture in the same way if my dad was dark skin. And that's just the truth of it. So I'm very, very grateful, very grateful for that. And this book is all about that sort of ancestral history and that bloodline and the, the way that culture is transferred from one generation to the next. Is that something you've always been interested in since you were a child? Were you interested in your heritage? Yeah, ever since I was a teenager, I'd say. Mm. When I was a child, yeah, but it was like less, it was less emotionally intelligent and conscious. It was kind of just like, I took whatever was fed to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. But now as an adult, yeah, definitely. I'm really, really interested. And as a teenager, I got super interested as well. And I know you've incorporated audio um, of your family in your music. Why is it important to you for them to be a part of all these different parts of your life? It's just context to be honest it's just context I think it's really important that like in the body of work to understand a bit more about the body of work context is needed and I didn't have to do it obviously music is all about interpretation but I think that or art is about interpretation and, and it's subjective but I wanted yeah. to be able to really like tell my story yeah oh well, what I really love about your music is that it 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 sort of has these different worlds that are enveloped in it, that it evokes. Um, I read in a magazine, she may not be out of school yet, this is from a while back, but what she lacks in experience, she certainly makes up for in sonic dexterity. And from, you know, attending a jazz and blues workshop as a child to publishing Laura Marlin covers to reggae on YouTube at 13 to teaching yourself to play guitar and piano and bass. How did you bring it all together and how did you find your voice? I think I'm still doing that. I don't know if I found it yet. And I don't know if I don't know it's if a, I it's want a constant, to. It's a constant journey. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to keep going with whatever whatever is going on now. Um, I think I just, I think I'm quite disciplined, and I just try a lot, and I keep going, and I and I keep banging out songs, and I'm seeing what happens. For me, it's like in order to get the bullseye, I have to kind of hit around the board, and and I'm 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 just trying, I'm just experimenting, and what I do know is it feels right. And when it feels really right, then I know I've hit the bullseye. But yeah, I'm just, I'm trying stuff out. Your fourth bookshelfy book is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Published in 1960, this book has become a classic, hasn't it? Harper Lee's cast of unforgettable characters have passed into literary folklore, as has the unflinching and compassionate way that Lee wrote about the brutality of racism in the Deep South. Joy, why is this on your list? It was like the first book I ever read that really addressed race, particularly race in America and civil rights. I don't know, I had a lot of questions that I didn't understand why I was asking myself. I used to say stuff like, why does it feel like our people are angry? Or why does it feel like black and brown people are angry? Or why is there tension? Or why is there this and that? And I, I didn't know how to answer that. My emotional intelligence was growing and I could feel people but not have the answers. And then when I read something like To Kill a Mockingbird as a child, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, the world is just as fucked as I thought it is. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I remember I remember being triggered. I think when you're a kid, you have this really intensely clear moral compass because you're like, well, that's right and that's wrong. It's, you, you're not, you're not um, stained yet by all the other stuff that you have to navigate just to get through life. So I remember mm. seeing 
how wrong injustice was or how wrong racism was and being like, well, that's obvious. And I read this book and it almost triggered me. It sort of mobilised me. I remember finding my activism ignited and feeling really galvanised. I was like, no, 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 it is wrong. Maybe we could do something about it. Um, we see the story through the eyes of Scout, of course, the narrator. She's strong-willed, she's a child. But do you remember identifying with her at all? Yeah, I guess for me it was just like the the level of confusion, I think. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's like you're really young and you kind of know in your instinct if something's wrong. But because you're young and because you know that a lot of the time when you try and stand up, even when you're young as a young woman and you try and stand up, there's a massive chance that no one's going to listen to you. So I think that like knowing that I wasn't the only like young person that might have felt that way, I guess. It's a book that teaches us about the power of raising our voice, that maybe our voices can make a difference. Do you ever feel a responsibility being, you know, public facing, having a platform, making music to stand up for things that you think are wrong or right or giving a voice to those who you feel should and don't? I don't think it's because I'm a public-facing person. I think it's just because I've just got a big mouth. <laughs> I've always been like that. I just don't, like, I just, like, I don't know what it is. Fuckery grinds my gears more than maybe it does for other people, I think. And I know that because of the way my friends deal with things versus how I might deal with things. Um, but also I'm, like, I'm older and I think instead of just cussing or, or being really um, wasting my energy, you know, you have to pick your battles. I think that now I have way more eloquence and understanding of where I would want to put my energy and, um, and, and the understanding of accountability, but also understanding that like we have to allow people room to understand where they've gone wrong and like to take a step back and hold themselves accountable. We can't like just cancel people if they've done something wrong. You know, and I think I have more compassion in the way that I deal with the things that I see as right or wrong, you know. Mm. Um, I, does that make yeah, sense? I feel that. No, totally. I I used to be very angry. <laughs> I, used, I used to really not be able to control it at all and would get um. I think it's a, it's a really immature thing. Yeah, it comes from, it comes with maturity to, to like you, exactly like you said, to pick your battles and be like, is this really the hill that you want to die on? Although it's not really that fair because for the most part, I always wanted what was right. And the fact that you have to pick which right thing is more important than the other to to like to go with is it's a real shame and it says a lot about our society but it is also a maturity thing to know that I've got to protect myself and my energy as well but also knowing that there are some things that you can't change and you have to walk yeah. away from what frustrates you most what is the battle that you feel over the course of your life you you have picked and have dedicated yourself to probably being a musician <laughs> <laughs> and that is a battle <laughs> it's not easy man <laughs> so obviously there are like big fuckeries and you know stuff that is just awful but yeah I, if I ever when I when I have a child my my youth is never being in music I don't care how talented they are really no way really? the stress no, I'm joking. My child can do whatever they want. Yeah, no, I just um, my sorry, my headphone just got locked under my chair. Um, yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> it's such a hard question. Like I could obviously come up with a more like profound answer. Like, just, uh... <laughs> 
There are no better friendships than those formed around brilliant books. And since you're listening, we're guessing you love books as much as we do. The Women's Prize has created an exclusive community that gives you a bookish backstage pass, offering surprises and freebies, plus unmissable reading recommendations and book chat from our founder friends, including me, Vic Hope. Search for Women's Prize Friend to become a friend today. We cannot wait to meet you. Your fifth and final book this week is I Am Malala, which I feel like we all are very, very aware of and have been over the last few years. The book charts Malala's extraordinary journey from a remote valley in northern Pakistan to the halls of the United Nations and winning the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize. Why have you picked this? It's just like bad bitches from South Asia. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like, I just need to know more. And and Malala's story is just impeccable and surreal. And um, there's a lot of controversy around her from the South Asian community. A lot of men love to talk rubbish about her. Um, I've met a lot of men, South Asian men, that have tried to talk rubbish about Malala, which I find... So interesting because I turn to them and go, when you were 15 and your way to school, did you get shot in the head by the Taliban? I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and her courage and her strength and, and also her relationship with her father, why she's called Malala. Her, everything about this woman is symbolic. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a brown woman. So I just, uh, not that I... You know, all brown women have to read all brown women's books, but um, there aren't that many of us that are so public facing in the West. And Malala not only is public facing in the West, she's a global like activist from 15 years old. Yeah, making huge difference, making a huge, making difference. a I mean, huge, it's, huge she's difference. She's unbelievable. So I can't not read her book. And I read it when I was kind of in my late teens and it made me feel really empowered and strong and and um, and gives you a lot of perspective as well, you know, how privileged we are to live here um, and not have to fight the Taliban every day. It's true when you put it in those terms. It it's is. just, that's, it's bizarre it. what she's that's had to it. go through. And then on top of that, like she's gone through all of that and she's not even having a break. She's just out here like fixing the world. How could you not love her? I don't get how men chat shit about her. I'm like, this is just classic man behaviour, but okay, cool. Well, they managed to chat shit about quite a lot of things um, and it's baffling. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, I, like... it's not it's not hugely surprising. They manage it. They manage it. <laughs> As a British, South Asian young woman making music on an international stage, how important is representation to you? What would you say to any little girl looking at you now and thinking, what do I do? What do I put into the world? We're witches. We're, we have incredible amounts of intuition. And the sooner you become in tune with that and the sooner you become in tune with what you want and what you think isn't right for yourself and learn how to say no, but also, as cheesy as it sounds, learning to love yourself and, and accept who you are and, and not just... You know, acceptance isn't like a thing that happens overnight. It's something that you're doing your whole life. But um, the more love that you can give to yourself, the easier things will be to navigate because you'll know what you should be putting yourself into and what you shouldn't. In this book, Malala talks about the strength that she draws from her father, from her family more generally. 
Um, where do you draw your strength from? How how do you keep going in spite of anything and everything? Generally, food really helps. Um, cool. yeah. I just like, you know, because it's actually a thing, like, I, I think it's part of my culture, but in Iranian culture, when someone dies, they like grieve and eat at the same time. I think eating is like almost like a, it's an act of resistance because if you don't eat, then your body will shut down. Um, so that helps. Um, love helps and having the most wonderful people around me and being fortunate enough to have those people around me for a really long time. That's my family. That's my friends that I've had for a really long time. Um, and also like myself, I, I really, when I really like me and I really get on with me and I spend time with me and I, I, I make time for me. That's when I really can navigate much easier. As I said in that advice, it's like I, when you remind yourself that you're loved by yourself, you're not looking for that anywhere else. You know, you're kind of settled in here and then everything is so much easier to work out and what you want and what you don't want is easier as well to navigate. It's the ultimate peace and power and freedom, which for me is the holy trinity of contentment. And I love that you've mentioned all modes of nourishment. You know, we're talking about literature and how it nourishes us. Food, which literally nourishes you. And love for for others, the love that you feel from others and love for yourself. It's a nourishment, isn't Agreed. it? Agreed. Do you feel nourished? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, with you, Vic, of course. With those eyelashes, how could I not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy that they're getting such a... Such airtime. <laughs> There's one question actually I, I did have um, when it comes to representation. Obviously, we're, we're trying to open doors for those who come after us. We want to support others. We want to support others from our communities. But also another part of that is celebration. Um, and it's something that you you do. You celebrate um well, you, I, actually, with one song in particular, London Mind, you celebrate immigrants who make up this country. Um, you sort of the, the, talk about the invisible people, the way that London belongs to everyone. We are a we are a city of immigrants. We're a country of immigrants. How much has that been something that y- you've been very aware of throughout your life, or, or or really wanted to shout about? Why are you celebrating it? Um, because it's just the truth. Mm. You know, it's like. Britain would never be Britain had it not colonised the whole world and then taken all of these incredible things from all of these different countries. And the very least and the bare minimum is embracing the diaspora that have decided to come to this country and, and build their lives here. So do you feel like you understood that from just from um, osmosis, from what's going on around you, from being um, from an immigrant family, or was that something that you learnt actively? Osmosis. Definitely osmosis. Growing up in Elephant and Castle with the immigrant family, with lots of immigrant families from all over the world. I'd say London was the most integrated city, you know. We're fortunate enough to live beside so many different cultures and backgrounds and people um, that it was hard to not be a sponge to that. Joy, if you had to choose one book from your list, as a favourite, and I think this would be tricky because they're all very different, very like different um, pieces of work, very different genres. Which one would it be? And as in, like on a desert island? Yeah, probably bell hooks because it takes like there's so much unlearning to do, but reading the book that the more you read it, 
the more unlearning you do. And it's like a, it's like bringing a lesson out with me. You know, I mean, bringing like a bell hooks degree out to a desert island. And you can dip in and out as well. It's not just like a linear read. Like you can get what you need when you need it from it. Exactly. So yeah, I would choose that one. Well, Joy, thank you so much for all the nourishment. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you about thank books. You. And um, maybe we'll get to do it again. We talk about music all the time, but this is such a, this is such a nice change. I've really, really learned a lot and... Um, hopefully our listeners have too so thank you for thank you so us. much for having me sorry for all my curse words you did say early doors about how there is um there's a real creativity in cursing so i feel like it's kind of a literature in itself i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> i'm Vicko, and you've been listening to the women's prize for fiction podcast please rate and review this podcast it is the easiest way to help spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today The Women's Prize for Fiction podcast is brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.